You are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website, thisisbaptistchurch.com. If you travel, if you travel in other parts of the world, you cannot know any of the language, but you will always recognize the word hallelujah. It's, it's a universal word of praise and worship. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord Jesus, that you love us. We pray now, dear Lord, that our hearts and our minds would be focused on you. Lord, uh, we can be easily distracted, dear Lord. We can be in such a way that, Lord, uh, the enemy can keep us from hearing a truth that maybe needs to be heard today. Lord, we ask you, dear Lord, to wrap your arms around us. Fill this place with the power of your Holy Spirit. The songs, I leaned over to Sheila a moment ago and I said yesterday, I woke up with that song, those lyrics on my mind, in my heart, literally singing them in my spirit. Lord, I thank you for the words that we sing. For those that lead us, dear Lord, I praise and thank you for them. And sound and communication, those people that, dear Lord, have sometimes jobs that we can't even see, and yet it provides the ability to be able to do what we do, and it to go even outside of this building. So, Lord, we give you praise. Lord, I ask you to cleanse me, to forgive me. Lord, let me be a tool in your hand. Forgive me. Cover me by the blood of of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that every heart would be receptive. And Lord, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to remain standing, and I want you to take your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5. We've been doing a series called Changes, talking about, you know, in life, change comes, and that's important. We've also spent a couple of weeks talking about attitude, because Attitude, a lot of times, determines how well we handle change or if we don't handle change. And, and so I want to remind you of that as well. So attitude is, is really, really important. Uh, I don't know if you watched, Sheila and I did a Wednesday night video and uh, did kind of a midweek service from our home, had an opportunity to share. And, and as, we were, um, as we were doing that, uh, I talked about attitude, and I brought up a series. It's on the History Channel called Alone. I don't know if you've seen this series, but what they do, um, they have over 5,000, as many as 7,000 applicants. They narrow that down to 10 people. They take those 10 people, and they put them in different locations by themselves, alone, and they are trying to outlast the other nine candidates, and the prize is $500,000, half a million dollars. Now, one of the things that, I, that I've been able to gather and uh, watch probably an abnormal amount of TV was in season two, three, and four. One of the things that you hear even in season one is the ability to be able to survive is a person's attitude. And the word attitude means mindset. 
And some people who go into that scenario, into that situation, they have a mindset. They had kind of a hippie kind of a girl. She was in uh, Patagonia where they had season three. And uh, she made this statement when she went and they left her there. She kind of lives off the grid on her own and kind of a free-spirited kind of individual. But she said, I did not come out here to survive. I came out here to make this my home. And buddy, she settled in and made it home. I mean, it was unbelievable. And I really thought this girl is going to win this thing. And she got, I don't know, 60 or 70 days. The guy that won it, a guy by the name of Fowler, last name Fowler, actually was a, a young man married, had two children. In fact, on his way to the airport, he broke down on the way to the airport, had to hitch a ride to the airport, and was crying, saying goodbye to his wife and his little baby as he was leaving. He made this statement in the course of conversations that attitude is everything. So let me ask you a question. Do you have a good attitude? Now, it's not necessarily what you would say. It is what the people would say around you. Do you have a good attitude? Now, look what Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. In the NIV, it says this. Paul writes to this church at Philippi. There's not a negative word in, in this entire letter. It is all positive. The theme of this book is joy. But in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Paul said, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient, even unto the cross, to, to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him a name that is above every other name. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray again. Lord, we thank you, we love you, and we give you all the glory, Lord. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Chuck Swindoll said this about, about attitude. And, and let me say real quickly, I, I, I said a couple of weeks ago that in psychology and counseling, there are, four, there are four types of attitudes. There is a positive attitude. There is a negative attitude. There is a neutral attitude. And there is a what they call what we call a sicken attitude. And the word sicken is S-I-K-K-E-N. It is an attitude that has become so negative that it is literally holding the mind in bondage. It is it can be a mental illness. Let me write, let me read something I wrote here. The danger right now with many professing Christians, is they are getting so caught up in news and in the political dynamics of America that I believe some are in danger of going to a sicken 
attitude, an S-I-K-K-E-N. Their minds are becoming locked in a negative framework that they can't think any clear, they can't think biblically clear anymore. They're losing sight of the sovereignty of God. And you don't want to go there. Now listen to what Chuck Swindoll said in his book, Strengthening Your Grip. Ledge, I thought about you. These sound like some of our conversations. He said in this book, Strengthening Your Grip, he said, words can never adequately convey the incredible impact of our attitude toward life. The longer I live, listen to what Swindoll said, the longer I live, the more convinced I become that life, parent, listen, that life is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we respond to it. I believe the single most significant decision I can make on a day-to-day -day basis is my choice of attitude. It is more important than my past, my education, my bankroll, my successes, my failures, my fame, my pain, what other people think of me or say about my circumstances or even my position or even me. Attitude keeps me going or cripples my progress. It alone fuels my fire or assaults my hope. When my attitude is right, there's no barrier too high, no valley too deep, no dream too extreme, no challenge too great for me. Wow. If I were a parent raising small children, I don't know that I wouldn't read that to them every day for a month. And to remind developing young men and young women that parent the most powerful thing they have at their disposal is their attitude. Fanny Crosby wrote this. She wrote, listen to this, over 8,000 hymns, over 100 million copies have been printed. Fanny Crosby, one of the greatest hymn writers of all time, was blind. At six weeks old, she called a cold that developed an inflammation in her eyes. In that day, they took mustard poultices. They applied them to her eyes at six weeks, year, six weeks of age and ultimately believed that that move caused her to lose her eyesight at six weeks old. Listen to what she wrote at eight. Listen to this, Caleb, listen to this. How old's Caleb? I'm trying to remember. How old are you, Caleb? He's eight. Listen to what one of the greatest hymn writers wrote at eight years of age. This is good. Listen to this, Caleb. She wrote at, at, at eight years old, Oh, what a happy soul I am I. Oh, what a happy soul am I. Although I cannot see, I am resolved that in the world, contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. Wow. Everything's attitude. But you know, I titled this message, 
reasons why Christians sometimes have a bad attitude. You ever meet a believer, a follower of Christ, and their attitude is so bad, you're thinking to yourself, boy, they don't tell anybody they're a Christian. Man, they're going to do a lot of damage. You know, a lot of people are doing a lot of damage right now on social media. I told our men a moment ago, let me say this. Nobody has a right to bring your sin out from under the blood of Jesus Christ that you've confessed and put under the blood of Jesus Christ. No one has the right to hold you accountable and to be unforgiving towards something that has been under the blood of Jesus Christ. There are some people that are building a platform on Facebook, but I can tell you this much. They are outside the will of God, they're outside the word of God, and I wonder whether they're saved at all. Nobody ever has a right to take your sin and pull it out from under the blood of Jesus Christ and hold you accountable when that sin has been forgiven by God. The Bible said, as your sin is as far as the east from the west, God is forgiven and God has forgotten. But let me give you reasons why sometimes Christians have bad attitudes. Reason number one, first reason, as to why Christians may have a bad attitude is they are insecure in their salvation. You know, I wrote this down, but listen to it. Insecurity breeds a bad attitude. And when you and I are not secure, when we're not settled in our spiritual condition, when we're not assured of our salvation, when there's not a spiritual settledness in us, we are not going to have joy, and joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. If you're not sure today whether you're saved or not, and you don't know for certain that if you died you'd go to heaven, then my friend, you're going to be robbed of joy, and because of that insecurity, you're not, listen, you're going to have a bad attitude. If your salvation is a think so, hope so, but not a know so, then there's going to be problems. Listen to this. Imagine that you're on an airplane. But as you board that plane, you're not convinced of that plane's reliability. You doubt the integrity of that plane. Further, you're, con you're concerned about the pilot's credentials. You've watched the food sitting out there on the tarmac in the hot sun on a summer's day. And you could have sworn that you saw your luggage, your peculiar colored luggage on another on, a, on another uh, transport going to another plane, an adjacent plane to another city. Now let me ask you something. What's your attitude going to be on that flight? Ain't going to be too good, is it? You see, if you doubt the integrity of that plane, if you don't believe in the credentials of that pilot, if you don't believe that everything has been done to ensure your safety, if you don't feel safe and secure on that flight, then my friend, you're going to be on edge, you're going to be tense, you're going to be, listen, your attitude's going to be horrible. You're going to be snapping at people, short with people, because you don't know for certain if that plane will ever reach its destination. What kind of attitude do you have in the Christian life? Sheila and I, when we came to Christ, when we, were at, when we were Caleb's age, I was a year older than Caleb, when we came to Christ in our day, in the 19, early 1960s, they sat you down and you were not discipled. Uh, you, you know, you went down with maybe a few other children and people said, that was sweet, that's cute. I don't even know if they stood us up in the front and shook our hand. I don't remember anything, but I do know this, I was never discipled. 
For some of you who are listening to me now, you came to Christ when you were a child. You were never discipled. You were never brought along. It wasn't a journey, a spiritual journey. And because of that, it is bred within you an insecurity about your salvation. You know, Adrian Rogers said this. Adrian Rogers said some of us need to in effect, we need to drive down the tent peg. And what he said was this, if you are unsure about your salvation, get it right today. Drive down the tent peg now. Know that you know that you know. You know, we, Sheila and I, we've been, we've been talking about that for years. Uh, both of us were rebaptized as adults because we, we had great difficulty, great confusion in that area. There was not a settledness. There was not a peace. Even in pastoring my second church, there was not a peace and a security, a settledness in me as to my salvation. And that may be you today, and that's part of the reason that you have a bad attitude as a believer. You don't know for certain. Let me, ta- let me tell you, I wrote this down. There is power in security. Take a right from Philippians and look at 1 John chapter 5. This is a great verse because you see there are also those people, and I used to hear those people. There are those people in the church who say this, nobody can know for certain. You ever heard people say that? Well, I don't think anybody can know for certain if they're saved or not. Isn't that strange? That's a strange statement. Listen to this. Listen to what John the Beloved, the one closest, the the closest disciple to Jesus in 1 John 5, 13, he said, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may what? What is that word? What is it? So that you may know that you have what? Eternal life. And watch this, verse 14. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have because we ask of him. It's interesting here that the Bible says there's peace, there's a settledness, and that God wants you and I to know that we're going to have eternal life. Let me tell you, there came a point in my life that it weighed so heavy on me that one day in the pastor's office in my second church and we were growing, God was doing great things. Five people made professions of faith the Sunday that I came out from behind that pulpit, stood down there and said, this past week, that unsettledness that insecurity was more than I could stand and I got down and I prayed and asked Christ to come into my heart and settle that and he did let me tell you there is power there is power in security you know we buried Lois Hudgens last week man it was a bitter bitter or the week before it was a bitter bitter cold day we just had a graveside service that day, and it was so cold and wet. It was just misery. But as I stood there at Lois's graveside, I looked at a, a woman with her two sons who had buried Lois's son to, a, to brain cancer, to a brain tumor. I looked, and here was a man who had buried his daughter in her 30s unexpectedly. And as I looked around that gravesite and I began to see all the suffering represented in that little group of people, I thought to myself, the greatest thing that I can tell them is this. Through Jesus Christ, this is not the end. 
this is the beginning. Lois Hudgens, who sat right back there on that back row, one of our senior adults lives right over here on Woody Drive. Lois Hudgens, while in Houston, at the bedside of her son dying of cancer, her other son had a massive heart attack in her home and dropped dead. She lost both of her sons in a matter of about two weeks, her only children. And the comfort that I could give was simply this, the security and the settledness of what it knows to be saved. Philip, I've heard you talk about your mama. Philip's mom worked for one of the auto dealerships. And Philip told me, he said, for years when I would call that dealership, my mom, oh, though she was dead and gone, would still be answering that phone. He said they loved her voice so much they continued to use it. And when I see you talking about your mama and I see you talk, I see heaven in your eyes. I see you longing for somebody who's gone on ahead of you. You see, there's settledness. Listen. Now listen, I want you to hear me here. Take, your, take a left from 1 John, go back to Galatians chapter 3. Because I want you to see this. You and I will never have peace and will never have a right attitude until we settle our salvation. Parent, listen to me closely. You parents, listen to me closely. It is your first responsibility when your children pray to receive Christ to begin to disciple them and help them understand the security of their salvation. Did you hear that say amen? Now, you know, I would say buckle your pew belts or reach over and buckle your neighbor's pew belts. But in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, Listen to what Paul said. He said, you foolish Galatians. He never uses that again. He calls them foolish. He said, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Paul said, that's how good I preached it. <laughs> he was clearly crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you, now listen to this. Hey, parent, in fact, everybody look this way. If you have your Bible, I'm begging you to dog ear this page. You know what dog ear means. For young people, that means you turn down the corner. And I would probably dog ear it a couple of times. Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to obtain your goal by human effort? You know what Paul was saying? Paul was simply saying this, do not make the mistake of the Galatians. Here's part of the problem that you and I lose, the security of our salvation. We are saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God. It's not of works. 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 Most of us, we start out in simple childlike faith, receiving the free grace of God, but before long, the accuser of the brethren, the father of lies, gets into our mind, into our heart, and he begins to tell us, this is not enough. The blood of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice on Calvary, is not sufficient. You've got to be good. My friend, listen to me. You and I are not saved by works. We are saved by the grace of God. 
You say, well, why do people do that? Why do I do that? Because let me tell you why we do that. Number one, we want to measure ourselves against other people. This is the problem on Facebook. Sometimes people take a sin that they're having victory over. It's the one bragging right they have. Oh, look at me. I've held together in this marriage. And my friend, they tear down and ripping everybody else up. People who are parenting and they're struggling. A lot of times feel like some that brag and carry on about their children as if they, you know, how sad that is. Sometimes in our faith, we want to measure ourselves. We want to build ourselves up at the expense of other people. If I've been a good parent, then I lash out at those that have failed as a parent. If I've got a successful marriage, I want to lash out at those that have gone through deep hurt and pain and sorrow and sometimes have gone through divorce and remarriage. You know, if I've, if I've been good in this area, victorious in this area, whether it be pornography, whether it be drugs, whether it be alcohol, then I want to speak with a spirit of condemnation on social media for all those who have not been able to have the victory that I've had. But my friend, you can be rest assured, every one of us have a sin which does so easily beset us. You see, sometimes the enemy would get us and we say by grace through faith it's a gift of God, but before long we begin to walk by the law. Why? We want to measure ourselves against other people. Secondly, we're trying to keep, a, we're trying to keep an understanding of our own progress. Well, I'm really doing good today. My friend, if I ever say I'm really doing good today, that is absolutely a blasphemous statement against the Holy God. On my best day, my best day, I don't have a rat's hair chance of getting to heaven outside the blood of Jesus Christ. I have no bragging rights. There's a principle here. The believer who starts out the Christian walk in grace through faith and turns to the law will develop a negative bad attitude. If you and I, if the enemy can allow us to begin to walk out our faith, not in the grace and the love of Jesus Christ, then before long, listen to me, we get a bad attitude because when we're having a bad day, we think that God's grace has some kind of fine print and that God's love has some kind of conditions on it. And so likewise, we don't feel His grace, we don't feel His love, we don't feel His mercy, we lose the fruit of the Spirit, we lose the fruit of joy and before long we're walking with a negative bad attitude and that's exactly what the enemy wanted let me ask you something parent what would you do if you got up every morning and you walked into your children's bedroom and you hugged their neck you know when our kids would get up in the morning we always had a way to just kind of you know we made a big fuss out of it good morning how you doing we tried to make a fuss out of it but imagine, imagine you as a parent, you're telling your children, I love you, I love you. Mom, Dad, we'll always love you. We want you to know it's not conditional. We're going to always love you. We're going to do everything we can. And, and, and yet when they get out the door, the friend next door, the friends down the street, the kids at the school, the teacher behind the desk, everybody begins to tell your ch children that, hey, your mom and dad don't love you. They don't care about you. They're conditional. You do something wrong, they're not going to love you anymore. Let me ask you something. How would you feel as a parent? Would it make you angry? 
How do you think God feels when the enemy, the accuser of the brethren, when a hypocritical believer, somebody who comes along and tears down and rips you apart and tells you everything that's wrong about you and that God's love's conditional, that their grace has some fine print. My friend, we are saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God, gift of God. It is not of works. And if the enemy can get you to receive it in grace and mercy and then turn to the law, the enemy's won an unbelievable victory in your life. Does that make sense? Well, let me at least get maybe to the second one. Why do Christians have a bad attitude? Number one, they are insecure in their salvation. I want you to hear, maybe you don't hear anything else. Nobody can tell you whether you're saved or not. Nobody can tell you that. And you may say, you may say, Brother Jeff, I believe that I'm saved. I believe I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, but I don't remember the tie the preacher had on. And by that, I'm, I'm actually being sarcastic. Some people believe that you need to remember every detail about the day you gave your life to Christ. Some people believe that you need to remember the service that you were in, the tie the preacher had on, everything that was going on. You need, it, it's such a pivotal moment that you need to remember every detail about it. And if you don't remember, then chances are you weren't saved. Let me tell you what Erwin Lutzer said, one of the great theologians of our day. He said, I don't know what time the sun came up this morning. You know, they'll always tell you on the Weather Channel, the sun will rise at 6.12 or whatever. He said, I don't know what time the sun came up this morning, but I know it's up now. And he went on to say this, he said, for you that feel in your heart, you know that you're saved, you know you're the temple of the Holy Spirit, you know that when you sin, you're convicted of that sin, you know that you have, you, you, you've seen God work mightily in your life, but you look and you say, Brother Jeff, when I hear a sermon like this, I get uneasy because I don't remember the details of when I became a Christian, when I got saved. My answer to you would be, you may not know what time the sun came up, but you know it's warm and bright and shining right now. Let me tell you something, I don't, I'm not trying to get you to doubt your salvation, but I am telling you this, if you're unsure, unsettled, insecure in your salvation, then you need to do that. You need to go to somebody, you need to do that, and you need to do it immediately. Because some, some will never have peace until it's settled. And all God's people said, amen. amen. And, and, and you can't begin by grace and then start walking by the law. You can't do it. And, and secondly, and I'll introduce this and we'll close in a moment because we're not going to get to, there's another one. The second reason a Christian may have a bad attitude is the lack of a servant heart. Have you ever noticed what Paul said here? Go back over to Galatia, I meant to Philippians. Look at again at Philippians. Paul does this, watch what he does. In Philippians 2.5, he says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself what? Made himself nothing. You know, I really feel strongly right now that I don't need to go any farther. I, I really believe that I would be in disobedience right now. Some of you just want to get out of here. You may be all. But I really believe that for a lot of men and women who are members of a local church and for people who profess Christ, that the reality is there's an unsettledness 
and a lack of security in their salvation. And I tell you what I want to do, what I want to do, and I want to do this now. And let me tell you, I, I want you to hear me too here. And I'm not, I'm not upset when I say this. You can do whatever you want to with your time on social media. A lot of people get discouraged. They feel defeated. We've talked about that on Wednesday nights, about sharing their faith. You know, you get tired of people shooting you down, people that don't want to hear it. You know, you, get, you, you just get tired of it. You know, I, I'm tired of sharing my faith. Be honest with you, Pastor, I'm discouraged. I just don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to hand out trust. So you may not do that, but I want everybody to listen to me. You may have a hard time looking face-to-face -to, -face to people and sharing your faith, but I have a real problem with professing Christians who are on social media all the time and never share their faith, never share Scripture, and never bother to share the sermon. You may be a poor witness. You may be shy. You may be hesitant about sharing your faith. But my friend, if you can't push a button on your phone and share something or speak to your faith in that manner, then I tell you what, you've got a real problem. But I'm going to say this. I believe for some people that are listening to my voice right now, I believe the reality is that if they were honest, they said, Brother Jeff, I don't know for certain if I died where I'd spend eternity. They would tell you they were a member of a church. They'd tell you of what kind of home they grew up in. They'd tell you when they were baptized. Let me tell you, baptism, that's just getting dunked under the water unless it is, unless it is coming after a spiritual born-again experience. Your baptism doesn't save you kind of home you grew, into, grew up in doesn't save you. Church you're a member of, church membership, it, it doesn't save you. One man said, hey, church membership saves you about like going through McDonald's and ordering a hamburger doesn't make you a hamburger. You know. You and I become a Christian when we are, repent, when we are convicted of our sin and we realize that the only way that we can be saved and have eternal life is through the Son of God Jesus Christ and the Bible says this for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life and until you and I come to a point of repentance and brokenness and reach out in simple childlike faith we will never be saved and let me tell you this little eight year old right here has done that He did that even, I think, when we were virtual. Coming under the conviction while he was sitting in the living room with his family. Realizing that if he died, he wouldn't spend eternity in heaven. But he knew in his heart what God was saying in his heart. And they prayed to receive Christ with an eight-year-old sitting in the living room. There's some of you sitting in a room somewhere right now. You're listening to this and you can be saved. So I want you to stand with heads bowed and with eyes closed. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. You say, Brother Jeff, I don't know for certain. I'm not sure that I want to help you get sure right now. A lot of people, you know, a lot of, it's amazing. You know, we're arguing now about the prayer. Can you believe that? I did my doctorate at a Calvinistic school. I did my doctorate at Reformed Theological Seminary. I see a lot of people bad-mouthing the prayer, talking about the sinner's prayer. Well, let me ask you something. How else are we going to cry out to God than in prayer? I mean, does that even make sense? 
For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Are you saying there's some kind of, is this some kind of formula? No, I'm not. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm telling you is this, that if you're under the conviction of God's Holy Spirit, if right now Christ is speaking in your heart and saying this is for you, you need to settle this now. You've been living too long without security and a settledness about your salvation. You need to do what this man right now is trying to get you to do. You need to do that, and he will help you figure out how to verbalize it. I don't see anything wrong with that. Because sometimes we need help, don't we? So with heads bowed and with eyes closed, I want to lead you in a simple prayer. If right now Jesus Christ, His Holy Spirit, has been speaking to you, right now in your heart, you feel, you feel an unsettledness. You say, Brother Jeff, there's not security. I don't know. And I've been living like this for years. But I believe right now I want to settle this and know that I know that when I die, I go to heaven. You pray with me. In fact, you can repeat after me, and you don't have to. You can pray whatever God leads you to pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm separated from you because of my sin. But Jesus, I know you died for me. You paid the penalty of my sin. You provided a way for me to be right with God the Father. So Lord, I repent of my sin and ask you to come into my heart and to forgive me to cleanse me. And in this moment, live in me. I thank you, Jesus, because of what the Bible teaches and what I've prayed. that I'm saved. Amen. The Bible says that if you and I will confess the Lord Jesus in our heart, shall believe that God raised Him from the dead, the Bible says you and I will be saved. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let me tell you, you know what came to mind? Everybody look, listen. When I was praying that prayer, I almost stopped it. Because what immediately came to mind was me kneeling in front of my desk in my office, in the pastor's office in my second church. We were blowing and going. People were being saved. But I didn't know. I wasn't sure. I prayed that prayer. Now, everybody listen to me. When, you, when you're on a stress EKG and you think you're the picture of health, and all of a sudden your heart starts shutting down, you know something is seriously wrong, and you look at the person and you literally say, something's wrong, stop. And then you collapse in a chair, and the next moment they're rushing you somewhere to do a stent, and you find out later the cardio, cardiologist said you had about a 99% blockage 
in the widow maker. Listen to me. God is my witness. Though I cried, though he, when I saw him, I cried as he came up behind me as soon as he heard. There was a peace. I want you to hear me. There was a peace. You think to yourself, you young people, you think, man, if I ever got that close to death, it would scare me. There was a peace that came over me as if the Lord was here. And you know what my thought was? I'm ready to die. Are you ready to die? You say, well, not yet. You don't know when you're going to die, so get ready now. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You come. You need to do business at this altar, you come. You need to talk to Sheila. Sheila, if you're a lady, she can pray with you. If you need to know and secure your salvation, you come.